Hello, and welcome to the Broken Shovel Homesteading for Sustainable Future podcast. I'm Lily. I'm joined with Lucas and Eric. Hello. Hey, everybody. Um, and really fun. We have a guest on the show today, Serena. Uh, oh, my God. I just flubbed your last name. Serena Arnold. That's totally oh, okay. Oh You're good. Oh, my goodness. No, it's it's a problem with the with the stonerness. Uh, <laughs> so Serena Arnold, uh, she is a meteorologist. She is an author and a podcaster. Welcome to the show. And, Thank you. Uh, we're very happy to have you talking about our topic today, which is weather and climate, what they mean and how they're different. Uh, would you like to start by sort of giving us a definition there, Serena? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, this is a topic that's uh, wonderful and near and dear to my heart. So I'm glad you guys are talking about it because there is a tremendous difference between weather and climate. And it's important that people understand those differences. So Let's talk about what weather and climate have in common first. Temperature, precipitation, wind speeds and directions, humidity, all these things that we know and understand. Meteorologists are looking at it in what we would call real time. What's happening right now? And we're also forecasting out to about a two-week time period. Beyond that, get things get a little fuzzy, and we could talk about that later if you want. But really, two Absolutely. weeks is, is an absolute max. And I'm going to say really one week's kind of drawing the line climatology is looking at, well, what happened for this month the past 30 times? And how does that, why does that matter? And how does that differ? Are we within the range of what has happened those past 30 years or greater? So climatologists are looking at the same type of information, the same things, temperature, precipitation, but they're looking at very, very long-term trends of that information. Um, and they are very, very different. Now, I get asked a lot of climate questions all the time and that's okay. Um, but I liken it to, it's like going to your, um, you know, podiatrist when you have like a broken wrist. Okay. <laughs> They'll probably be better than the general public. So if I ask you to meteorologist things about climate, yeah, my perception is going to be better than the average person on the street, but climatology and meteorology are, are very different things. And it's why they are very different paths, you know, meteorology and meteorologists and climatology and, and climatologists, but they do have in that little Venn diagram, there is that sliver of where they are the same. Oh, very right. cool. Thank you for that. Uh, and it, you chose to be a meteorologist. What, what brought you down that path? Yeah, I was born uh, and, and raised for the most part outside of the country in the Caribbean. And we moved to Denver, Colorado when we moved to the United States. And I was in the Southern Caribbean where the weather's really beautiful all the time. Like they don't even really get hurricanes. And in Colorado, a thunderstorm formed and there was this huge, big towering thunderstorm and lightning and hail. And then a funnel cloud formed. And then there was just a tornado that went across the field. And I remember standing in my doorway as a five-year-old going, well, that's, that's pretty awesome. And a, <laughs> and a switch flipped in my head. And I have been obsessed with the weather ever since that point. And so I, you know, every science fair growing up was about the weather and went to one of the top meteorology schools in Oklahoma and went storm, you know, as a storm chaser for years. And uh, since then, I've you know worked for NASA contractors and was the director uh, of the Mount Washington Observatory for a while. I've done TV meteorology. Um, yeah, I'm obsessed with the weather. We'll just cut it at that. It's it's really cool to find that when you were so young uh, yeah. too. Like there's very few people in the world that find that. 
that level I, of passion for something at I that agree. age. I <laughs> so, agree. Um, something we really wanted to talk to you about, and I reached out to you last week a little bit, um, is July 3rd as a date. Uh, sort of zooming in to some local weather that happened on that day, but also zooming out to what the University of Maine is reporting uh, uh, with the global temperature averages. Um, so one thing I reached out directly to, well, I tagged you in a video, uh, was July 3rd. I got close to right around two inches of rain in roughly 90 minutes <laughs> in uh, Verscher, which is in Orange County, Vermont. Eric got, I think a half an inch. I think I got a half an inch, like an hour later after you sent me the message saying that you'd gotten like an inch. I'm like, yeah, I, I got a half an inch here. So there's there's a very major gap there um, in in what we got, and not very far away from each other at all. And I'm, I'm curious what do you, what may have caused that? Yeah, because we weren't even predicted for that amount of rain. Well, it depends who you were listening to. <laughs> well, and I do want to talk to you a little bit about different apps and reliability. I think if yeah. we could get that, I think it would be really interesting. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely dive into that as well. Um, so the reason that happens is you can have rain happen in a lot of different ways. Sometimes you have a cold front that moves through. And if you're looking at the radar, watching your on TV meteorologist, you'll see like this green line, maybe some yellow dots in it, right? That moves across the whole state. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets about the same amount of rainfall for about the same amount of time, covers the entire state. Uh, but then you could have rain where it's incredibly isolated. And so you're having individual cells and they're called cells because it's almost like, you know, look under a microscope and seeing cells of a body, right? Individual cells. And with the amount of moisture that we have right now, is anyone feeling like it's a little sticky recently? Because yes. oh my God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we made the mistake of leaving the windows open last night and my floors are soaked and I haven't mopped. Oh, it's no. just, they're cold and they're actually the temperature, mm -hmm. the dew point temperature. So all the water's condensed on them and it's going to take me six weeks for it to dry. Anyway, with all the moisture in this air, what's happening is there's a lot of water vapor that can be turned into water drops that can become rain. And so when you get these small isolated storms with this massive amount of humidity that we've had, it you get this cloud that goes up and the laws of thermodynamics are heat rises. Mm -hmm. And as thing ri things rise, they cool. It expands and it cools down, which causes condensation. So all this water vapor that you can't see but you can feel condenses and turns into rain. And with the amount of humidity that we have right now, the amount of moisture that's available in our atmosphere, these isolated storms can produce an incredible amount of rain over a very short period of time because you have a lot of water vapor that's going up in the air very quickly and condensing and has to basically fall right out again. Wow. So it's just, it's just a very isolated type of event. And we have prime conditions for that right now and for the past several weeks. Yeah. Yeah. We, we lost a road or two here in Versher, uh, I bet. under those conditions. So yeah. Even here, washed. I noticed it. Yeah. I was out uh, riding my bike the other day on a lot of the gravel and dirt roads around here. And it's like, Oh good. <laughs> That's washed out now. <laughs> oh, and there's another one and there's another one. I mean, I'd have filled up my washout bingo card on my ride for sure. <laughs> uh, and then sort of the global scale of July 3rd, uh, we're we're seeing you know these headlines about the highest recorded global temperature average since you know and di you know 
recording points vary. Even Eric and I disagree on uh, where we start looking at this. Like I, I tend to start in 1979 uh, with this with the satellite imagery. Eric, what do you look at it? I go back to I believe it's 59 is usually the ones I go to, which is GD, when the record keeping officially started for a lot of these charts. So, yeah. uh, first of all, we need to know who's right. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Uh, I listened no, to the past shows and I'm ego. like, I knew it. <laughs> all right, so, who, so who's right? Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. I'm always a fan of more information, more data. Uh, mm -hmm. But what you have to understand, too, is there is a trade-off in the quality of that data over a long period of time. I mean, it's really cool to look at temperature records from 1884, but, you know, how accurate was that thermometer? Right. Okay. So so that's, uh, it's a bit of a trade-off there. Um, so <laughs> to be... Gosh, to be just a sap, you both are right. Like it's it's fine. There's really no right or wrong answer. I I prefer slightly more, so I might be you know fifty one percent team Eric on this one. Okay. Um, just now, if he said he was looking back to seventeen ninety three, I'd you know I'd toss it back to Lucas. But <laughs> yeah. so, all right, okay. yeah, that's that is fair and unbiased. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, Seeing that like these temperatures haven't been verified by NOAA and, and things like that yet until the end of the month, uh, how much faith do you put in the University of Maine on these global temperatures? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would put complete faith in it. I mean, and this isn't the okay. first time this has happened. I mean, last summer, you know, oh, look, the X places and Y places have had record highs. Oh, and the year before they did it. Oh, and the year before they did. Um, it's things are changing. <laughs> it's, you know, and a lot of people can argue over the reasons why. Um, and I'm going to go let them do that somewhere else. The bottom line is, yeah, things, things are warming, things are changing. Um, and there's a lot of people that are feeling the effects of that. Yeah. And Eric, uh, if you want to, we were just talking about this sandstorm that is the, out of the Saharas that's heading sort of our direction here on the East coast. You're joining us from New Hampshire, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, and Eric, you were talking about the jet stream. Uh, yeah, so it recently I was looking at some some satellite imagery, and it see in the the southern hemisphere stream uh, seems from the imagery is picking up a lot less dust and sand from Africa and bringing it across. And I was like, I started looking at this because I was looking at um hurricane tracking for this year so far and how a lot of the storms are just cutting through the Gulf and going right over to over Mexico and into the Pacific. Yeah, it's I, I can't speak to some of those things as much, partially because I, I just haven't been paying attention to it because mm. of what's been going on up here. Um, you know, we've definitely had our own weather story here. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, the, the the dust that comes off of the Sahara is a very critical part of hurricane formation. That's that's it's a huge part of it. Um, and it is for reasons why actually some things that we already talked about is that there's a tremendous amount of water vapor available over a wide open warm ocean. Yep. And uh, what you actually need in order for water vapor to go from the gas form that you can't see to the liquid form, which is actually what you have in clouds. The reason you could see clouds is because you're looking at liquid water as they need condensation nuclei. They need a little grain of particulate or sand or dust or something like that 
for when the air cools for it to condense onto. And this is why the Sahara sand is so completely critical because without that, you actually don't, aren't given the condensation nuclei to uh, form the clouds that later turn into hurricanes. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I would just like to loop back to something that we touched on super briefly, but um, about how reliable is the weather forecast we see on our phone apps or on the computer, the 10 day weather forecast, how reliable is this information? Sure. Yeah. Show of hands. Uh, how much, how much did you pay for your uh, weather app on your phone? Zero dollars. <laughs> you get what you pay for. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they, it, it depends on what your needs are for, Someone who lives in New York City who can ride the subway every day and doesn't have to go anywhere, that's just fine. They just need to know if they need to bring an umbrella. <laughs> Lily's like, Wee. Uh, You just need to bring, you know, decide if you need to bring an umbrella with you. I mean, and if you're right or wrong, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't impact your life much more. For others of us, like my neighbors who have cattle, for the people who are cutting hay across the other place, for homesteaders and people taking care of their own gardens. And, um, you know, we, we don't use our, our clothes dryer. We hang our laundry. I could talk to you guys about sustainability too forever. That's a different option. We're going to stay with weather though for a bit. Um, I care what the percentage of rainfall is and I need to have an accurate forecast. So the free weather apps are, are not going to do it for probably you guys and a majority of your listeners. So, yeah, what so would I, you... I have my own weather station, uh, nice. which because of where I am, I, I trust it more than my apps, but I still, I do still look at, at the apps, of course, yeah. uh, for satellite images and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the weather station will be really good for telling you what's going on with where you are right now. And so you mm -hmm. can look for patterns and stuff. If you want reliable forecast information, the National Weather Service, Division of NOAA, part of our government, government-funded meteorology, is outstanding. There's not many programs out there where the government version, I think, can do a lot better than the private sector. And this is one <laughs> of them where they knock it out of the flipping park. And this is because there's like 128 regional offices all across the United States where you have meteorologists in-house living and working in that area that are providing the weather forecasts for you. Where when you look at, I'm not going to say any of the other names, um, but you've said a few of them already, some of the big name things. Uh, it's a cluster of computers that runs in State College, Pennsylvania or Atlanta, Georgia, and they don't have a lot of meteorology, meteorologist intervention. It's looking at one forecast model, which is one opinion, and I can talk a little bit about how forecast models work. Please it's, do. It's one yes, opinion please. as to how, how it works and what could play out, and that's just auto-pushed to your app. So it'll be okay. But if you're looking for accuracy, the forecast models are, are incredibly different and you need a meteorologist to weigh in on them. And, and here's why. Forecast models, we, we know what's happening in the atmosphere. We know we have a set of, we know the thermodynamic equations and the fluid dynamic equations and everything we want to understand our atmosphere. To put all of them into a computer model and then input all the current weather data and have it process and run, to give you a 24 hour forecast would take like four days. Not going to work. No. Okay. <laughs> not, not good. So what we have to do instead is say, okay, which 100 equations do we want to use that we think are going to be the best? And so you pick your favorite 100 equations and that way you can put all that in and get it. It spits it the result out in like an hour or two of what it thinks is going to happen for the next 24 hours. So that's one forecast model. The other forecast model goes, well, I want a different hundred equations. 
And then other forecast model says, I want a different 100 equations. Now there's going to be similarities in there, right? Like the ideal gas law is probably in all of them that, you know, when things rise, they cool, right? Heat rises. I mean, that's a pretty important one. So let's say a third of those, like 30 of those equations, no matter which forecast model you're looking at are going to be similar, but those other 70 are all very different. And this is why forecast models have such different answers. So when you're looking at these, meteorologists who look at them every single day, and you could tra even you could train your eye to do this, you guys here and everyone listening, you can look and see which one's right more of the time for you for what you care about. Like, hey, I think the the her, the HRRR, HRRR, um, does a great job on precipitation. In New England right now, I think it's killing it. It's doing a really great job. But it may absolutely blow it come snow time. Um, so you you have to look at it and kind of see which one is correct more. And meteorologists do this every single day. And so they know which models to trust. They know which models to trust more in certain areas and in certain types of weather and all of that. And you just can't get that with a free weather app. So okay. when you go to weather.gov and you're looking at the information there, you have meteorolo meteorologist sitting at a desk that's looking at all the computer models and says, I want to put 70% of my confidence in this one. I'm going to put 30% of my confidence, in this one and the Connecticut river Valley, no matter what I pick is always off by six degrees. And so I'm going to, and they can manually go in and make these changes. So when you go to weather.gov and check your forecast there, the accuracy is fantastic. Now we're still looking into a crystal ball and telling you the future. So be kind and gentle to your meteorologist because we're still <laughs> like predicting the future here, man. It's still hard and we're not going to get it right every time, but they're really good. And if you really care what's happening, don't look at the number in the graphic, go find what's called the forecast discussion. And I can provide links for all this kind of stuff. If you want it later for show notes or whatever, let me know. That would be helpful. Yeah. Yes. If you, Go to the forecast discussion and read. It can be technical at times. It's meant for someone who knows meteorology very well to understand, but the layperson can go in and understand, I'd say about 70 to 75% of it. And that's huge because what they'll tell you is, you know, ah, in two days, the forecast models are different in this way. This model says this, this model says that right now, this one's been performing better. So we're going to put some faith in that, but understand here's some, some variables. And that's a game changer. And when you start reading the forecast discussion from the National Weather Service and then seeing what happens around you, you're going to find out that you understand the atmosphere and what's going on and why a lot better. And you're going to be so much better prepared. Well, that's fantastic information. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so uh, that is hands down the most reputable source, in your opinion, though. Yes. Like just, just don't even have an app on my phone. <laughs> So the app I do have on my phone, <laughs> one that I really like is it's for real time weather and it's called my radar. They really need to start paying me for the number of times that I've recommended this, <laughs> uh, but it's just called my radar. And so what I love is it shows you the current radar. And so you can kind of see what's coming or what have you, but if you enable it to, it will notify you. And so mine will tell me you've got moderate rain starting in 25 minutes. You have heavy rain starting this time frame. If there's watches and warnings, it tells me you've just been put under a flash flood warning, you know, or a flash flood watch. Um, by the way, the difference between a watch and a warning watch means it may happen. Warning means it is happening. So okay. Okay. something people always need to know because that terminology is confusing and awful and no one's come up with anything, anything better. I agree yet. with that. 
why have we not <laughs> come up with something better between watch and warning? Because I feel like I always get them confused. And I have been, I've lived in a place where there are tornadoes. I've lived with hurricanes. I've lived with tsunamis. And it's the same thing. I'm like, are we on a watch or a warning for this major <laughs> catastrophe event? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's something that the whole meteorology uh, community struggles with. But um, yeah, watch means it may happen. A warning means it is happening. But uh, this My Radar app, I, I love. It is the only weather app I have on my phone. And I simply love it because I can't be glued to the radar all the time. I work and I have two kids and animals and it's just like life's crazy. Yeah. I, I can't, Right. Um, <laughs> and so I love it because it will notify me and will tell me. It makes me seem like a pretty smart and awesome meteorologist. <laughs> yeah, I like my, my app with my weather station because it it'll do two things it restricts itself in two ways it won't predict more than five days out yes. and or 12 hours uh, like on it. the daily so it's it's just a, a my accurate pretty basic uh setup but it you know for the homestead it's really great for recording uh being able to pull dates uh for reference later but um it, it really does restrict itself uh in in its predictions which I see as a positive and it sounds like uh, uh, that's true. Yeah. Because I mean, we've all read out there, you know, you can go to websites and get your 30 day forecast and you just yeah. might as well like ask a three-year-old to guess what the weather's going to be that day. And their odds <laughs> of being right are just as high. So if you do want to know what's happening long-term, there are actually ways. It's just not that way. Um, so another re resource and weather that I like is the Climate Prediction Center. So I don't know what the exact website is. Uh, it's usually like CPC NOAA. If you t Google CPC NOAA Gov, or I'll send you guys the link for it too, you can get to the Climate Prediction Center. What I like about that is if you want to know what's going to be happening more than a two-week time frame, two weeks, three weeks, maybe even a month, some even further than that, but I don't, I don't find a need for that yet. That's really helpful because what they're going to be showing you is forecast anomalies from normal. So when you look at that and I want to say, hey, what's it going to be like for the second half of July? Because if I have one more person ask me if it's going to keep raining like this, uh, <laughs> right? Like, holy cow. Um, so if I look at that, that will tell me anomalies and will say, yes, your odds are higher, you know, of, of seeing more precipitation than average than what we've seen over the past 30 year time frame with the current setup or temperatures will be higher or lower than average. So that's all it shows you. It shows you a deviation from normal. So above average or below average precipitation um, and then same with temperature. And so that's not going to give you obviously an exact forecast because that's not going to be every single day from there on out. But, you know, generally speaking, for the end of the month, There'll be more days than not that fall into that category. And yeah, you'll have the one day that's differs from that. But generally speaking, it's pretty good. And I do like that for long-term forecasting beyond that one week, two week time frame. Um, there, there is useful information in that. Right on. Uh, let's take a few minutes to talk about sustainability and how um, individual actions can See, we can see outcome in in our local environments. Um, you know, I know you. You know, I, I also don't have a dryer. I, all of my clothes is hung dry, uh, which is easy in the winter. I just put a rope across near the wood stove. And, yes, uh, two uh, birds, one stone, man. Yeah, <laughs> but in the summer it becomes very difficult, especially as these last few weeks of 
picking and choosing and and uh, getting things hung. What what sort of actions could can us as individuals take to, you know, if if how do I put this? If these things were to catch on as a trend across the country, let's say, or or even just locally across the region. Uh, what sort of things would we see impact, positive impacts from, you know, more than just hanging our laundry? That's a great question. And I actually have a really cool graphic that I will see if I can pull up a copycat version of it on the internet that's really helpful. And it shows how you can reduce um, your, I don't know if it's specific to carbon emissions or if it's, you know, overall impacts based upon what you do. So it's like take one less, you know, flight every year bike to work, you know, all, all these things, which can be really impactful. Um, and there's like data and science behind it rather than just my own personal opinion. So I'll go see, I'll see <laughs> if I can find that too. Okay. Um, but our mantra, you know, what we do is we really care about being independent, I guess is the word that I'm looking for. Um, I don't want to be relying on spiking gas prices, and how right. that affects what I do in the home. And yeah, and there's bad environmental impacts to that as well and what have you. But uh, when we had that really bad, we had a bad ice storm this past year um, that mm -hmm. hit our area particularly hard. And we were without power for several days. And I even made like a TikTok video like, hey, here's the things that we're doing to survive. A lot of people around us have generators. We have a generator too. But despite the days we were without power, we ran it for about an hour a day. And that was just to do quick catch up on everything. And we know people that ran their generators all day. I don't want to do that. So it's just trying to make choices and do things that, that keep you independent of those types of systems. So you're not relying on what the gas prices, how they, those have changed and how they're going to affect you. And I can't afford to run my dryer this month. Well, then don't run the dryer and like, let's do some other things like hang the laundry and there's other benefits and the sun lightening it, you know, can help with your whites and helps things get fresher and cleaner. And if you can get over the crispy clothes feeling, um, you know, there's, there's little things like that. Um, so I think just, just always keep it in mind, how can you how can you get by with with less in some ways? Um, my husband is actually the the king of this and has turned me on to a lot of things. When we're running the shower and you turn on to get a warm shower, there's a lot of cold water that comes out. We keep that. We have a bucket in the bathroom. We collect the cold yeah. water and save it because why waste that and have that go down the drain? Because we've got plants and stuff and then a dog and stuff that you know that are all going to need water and. So we use that. We um, cloth diapered our children, which I know isn't an option for everybody. But it made me really happy to know that my kids weren't putting like 2,000 diapers per kid per year in the land somewhere. I really liked that. Uh, they also potty trained a lot faster. So that was amazing. <laughs> they do because the diapers today, the disposable yeah. ones are so good. They wick away the moisture too quickly. Kids can't feel it. And kids are potty training later now than when they did when everyone had cloth diapers. That makes mm, so much sense. It's crazy. I would have never thought of that, but yeah. that makes so much sense now. Yeah. So, so we cloth diapered our kids, and they were both potty trained at like two. So it was awesome. Wow. So, um, <laughs> you know, we we really care about what we buy. You go to the grocery store, and you've got like three choices for broccoli for some reason. There's like the broccoli that's just free. This is if you go to like a major grocery store. Then there's the broccoli that's in a, a styrofoam container with cellophane around it, and, and it's just like, well, why? It's the same broccoli. Um, so why are, why buy the one with all the plastic on it? 
And so until... my favorite is the individually wrapped bell peppers. Okay. Yes. Um, oh that God. drives me crazy. <laughs> and that you know, drives that's me the... crazy. Yeah, and, and something that I, I someone and as some other expert needs to explain to me, we typically buy organic when we can. You know, we participate in CSAs locally because we wanna we wanna buy local and support local farmers and all that. But when CSA season's not here and I want to get stuff, in the organic section, every piece of produce is wrapped in plastic. And I'm sure it helps it last longer, but it's like I'm I'm like, you know, cutting off my nose despite my face in some ways. Like, well, I want the stuff that's got less chemicals in it and all the bad stuff, but you wrap every single thing in plastic and we want to try to reduce, you know, that impact as well and make like the right consumer choices. So I don't, if someone can tell me why the healthier food gets wrapped that way, I don't know. Um, uh, so, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a mind trick. For the I same think, reason Whole Foods unwraps oranges and then puts them in a plastic container. Yep. <sighs> Eric is putting together an episode that's coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks that is about, uh, it focuses on growing inside your home in the off season. Oh, uh, cool. that you can do. So we both have setups for that. And, uh, uh, you know, because I have a grow tent uh, for both legitimate and nefarious reasons. And yes, uh, I have a um, room in my basement that I've set up for the, sa the same reason. <laughs> so, you but, guys are so uh, subtle. But, yes. but <laughs> also grow it. I also use it to grow food and start things and, and things like that, which is really yep. great. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that would to, be nice. To, like to, to have that sustained, like to be reliant on yourself would be, would be amazing. Um, well, but while and we a big can't. thing for me is exiting, exiting cap capitalism through you know, uh, learning new skills. And it, uh, so it's, you know, fewer trips to the grocery store all summer. Sure. You know, salads out of the garden tonight, but, um, it's very challenging out this far <laughs> and to, to not be reliant on the supply chain. So it's, yeah. it's, it is a very difficult thing. Yeah. Um, so usually at about this point in the show, Lily, we are sort of, uh, pivoting a little bit towards uh our your uh, homesteads so and our homesteads and, and, and what's going on what's going on um, so you have horses and two kids out there and yeah i was uh, gonna say let's talk about your homestead <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, i can't call myself a, a homesteader um but i i love the idea of it and i just need more free time at this point it's like working well, parent post covid two young kids like i am maxed <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I do got, you know, have a horse, the dog, the kids, and we moved to a really remote location. So we could be more independent. So the kids could have more room. You know, my husband and I grew up in, um, like farming communities and really wanted that for our kids as well. You know, my kids don't know what a video game is and I'm very proud of that. So um, but my kid can, most of my kids can tell you every species of bird that lands in the bird feeder and the bird bath and, you know, knows 38 different kinds of moths and butterflies and caterpillars and stuff. So, um, you know, that's the kind of stuff that we focus on. We try to have gardens when we can. Um, but it's, you know, with, gosh, with the weather, I can totally blame the weather. That's my out. It's been really hard to do. <laughs> well, you know, because we moved out here right before COVID. And so we said, you know, I wanted a garden. And plus, I saw the COVID stuff coming. So I got like all the seeds and brototilled and did all this and did all the work. And 2020 was the year that we had a Mother's Day snow. 
So, and I was a dum dum and put a lot of things in the ground before then because it had been so warm before that. You know, Eric's shaking his head at me. Never plant before Memorial Day. I know. It's well, and this year proved that again, right? It really did. Yeah, yes, it did. So, yeah. We had so, I mean, that's, that's three times in the two times in the last four years 20, 21, 22, 23 that has happened. So, no, there's data says yes, that's correct. But I did. So I lost a third of everything that I had. (laughs) So I lost a third of everything I had in 2020 due to that. And then right after the snow was the drought, like 2020 was a really bad drought for us. So that killed like another third. And then the last third lived along and was sad and pathetic. And I, you know, spent $58 for a 98 cent store cucumber. And I was like, well, this isn't worth it for me (laughs) that year. (laughs) So so I've been trying to to get back into it. Um, We have a lot of herbs right now. Um, and those are really great. And we mostly have those for the kids. They'll just go out and like, just eat fennel and basil and they want that. And that's, that's awesome. And that's great. So I really just have like an herb garden and the kids at this point. And, and so, like I said, when we can't homestead, we, we participate in CSAs locally because we want to have like locally sourced food, support our local farmers, know what's in it. Um, and so we're really big on that. So someone else is doing my homesteading for me right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We talk about that all the time, being reliant on local sources. And that is uh, uh, much, much better for the system that we might need to avoid uh, uh, catastrophic events in the globe. Um, so Eric, I mean, you were just here yesterday, so I know what's going on, but for the rest of us, <laughs> How's your how's things going? Uh, the garden is the tomatoes are doing well. The carrots are looking good. The radishes are looking good. Um, my pumpkins and my cucumbers are still just struggling. Uh, the zucchini looks a little happier with the sun we got the last three days. Um, but overall, my garden's struggling this year. Uh, the strawberries, I, I did get those transplanted. They are they're happy-ish. <laughs> well, give them happy-ish. a minute. You might, I will. I will. Yesterday and, and took and helped me thin my strawberries with all of this rain. Uh, I've been getting mildew underneath the low strawberry plants. So you know, I, I I can thin them and put them somewhere else or compost them. But also, you know, Eric, come over and get some strawberries. Yeah, uh, which is a great sustainable setup. Uh, yep. And then there'll be more for you in the spring when I'm thinning again. Um, yes. But yeah, but the question is, you are just... you charging them 10 bucks a pint for those strawberries? I was just going to ask how much are strawberries in your area? No, because, because I give him eggs. So... Yeah. Ah, yes. Equal trade. Yes. Yep. Nice. He, gets Back... jam, he gets jam. So, yep. uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. so I, I've only been helping Meg make brooms and broom handles. We, we just did went out with this morning and we're hunting for broom handles when I was done stacking wood. And, uh, she's, pro- she's probably out in the woods again right now, getting more, yeah. uh, you know, just more prep for the farmer's market and, uh, getting ready for August. Um, and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, Lily's in New York city. My air plants are doing great. <laughs> well, those are important <laughs> plants to have, to you know, and, and and I would love to talk at some point about house plants and maybe that can piggyback off of Eric's uh, indoor growing. But how important I, house plants yeah. are to cl- cleaning your air uh, yes. and, and things like that. Um, well, right right now um, in Vermont, we trim back some of our our trees to get the lilac bushes a a better view of the sun 
Um, and then that one lilac bush looks good, looks like a pancake, but still looks good. <laughs> um, and uh, the beautiful half weed, half uh, wildflower garden is going strong. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And I hope to see, I hope you're going to be back up soon, Lily. Uh, uh, yeah, I, actually next weekend. So I so and nor again normally we usually do like sort of listener interaction and and take some questions. But I have I have one question which I think is kind of fun for Serena um, is basically in it, what old timey sort of weather wisdom can can still go toe to toe with technology like red sky at night, sailor's delight, that sort of thing um is there's there's so much folk wisdom around weather uh do you subscribe to any uh any of that uh yes there is some wisdom in that and so like the red sky night sailors delight red sky morning sailors take warning is is Mm -hmm. a good one uh not sure how many of you are sailors so i'm not sure that's a practical (laughs) choice there is a lot to be said about forecasting in the near term within like 24 hours based upon the clouds that you see right now. And that used to be a way that like back to the times of before even Ben Franklin, who's really like kind of the earliest American meteorologist, going back to the times of even Galileo, you can look and see and actually do a pretty good job of forecasting your own weather based upon what you see right now. And that's because ancient Greeks with nothing better to do with their time a long time ago, looked at the sky and said, you know, oh, hey, it's this. And then next it was this. And then it was that. And they cataloged that and were able to record that. And so there are trends. You have a beautiful high pressure day. um, And then you start to see the high cirrus move in. Changes are coming. Now you're not going to be able to know exactly what's happening. You're not going to be able to forecast with like amazing accuracy and say, oh, I'm going to get 0.75 inches of rain in 18 hours. I mean, we're not looking at that. But it can be very indicative of change coming in. You can, once you know the difference in how a warm front and a cold front feels, you'll know what's coming after that. I mean, after every single cold front, you kind of have that crisp clearing behind it. Your temperatures drop, your wind speeds increase, and they come from a northern-ish direction. And there's clouds that associate with that. So if you do pay attention to the trends around you, and look into that. And one of these days, I swear to God, I'm going to do a, like a class on that because I, I am asked this question a lot, but it's going to take an incredible amount of free time to put together a class on it. But I will one of these days because it is it has been asked a lot. Um, but yeah, forecasting I, in the short term based upon what you see in the clouds now, actually pretty good. And I, I, I recall vaguely you talking in a recent video on TikTok about joint pain and feeling pressure on your body and uh, and that kind of stuff and and you know my wife who was like like oh, just everything hurts everything hurts <laughs> she, she, you know she watched that video and was like well maybe she's right <laughs> <You know? laughs> and sure as heck you know uh, uh, as the pressure changed it, she, her her knees weren't hurting as much her hips weren't hurting as much so it was it's really cool to watch that sort of thing yeah, um, I mean the the weather is phenomenal and can be such a, a like a cool mystery, and so that's why I do on social media media like TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Threads now like the new thing that just blew up. I got one of those. Um, I love posting <laughs> videos about 
what's happening and, and why it's happening. So I, I love to do that. It's, you know, everything is at Weather Serena, W-X-C-Y-R-E-N-A, if I can give myself a shameless plug. Oh, um, please do. Please do. Yeah. yeah, so just, so whatever social media you're on, just search for W-X-C-Y-R-E-N-A. And I love putting videos out to say not only what's happening, but why it's happening. Or if there's, you know, severe thunderstorms forecast, where are they going to see them and why? But, you know, what severe peril are you going to see? Is it going to be more hail? Is it going to be more wind speed? Why? What are some of the variations? Maybe you don't see any storms. Well, for those who don't see any storms, why is that going to be? And yeah, the, the air pressure thing is, is really neat. And I had a lot of people ask me, like, I feel like crap right now with this weather. And I was like, well, yeah, absolutely you do because you don't realize it, but the air on us is actually quite heavy and it pushes on us by about 15 pounds per square inch on your body. You don't even feel it, but that's, that's a lot that the air is pushing on you. And when you have high pressure, you have more air above you and that's higher. It's more like 16 pounds per square inch, roughly. Don't quote me on this. Some doctor's going to hear this and be like, that's not quite right. <laughs> it's more people. But when you have low pressure, you actually have less atmosphere above you. And so it is less. And just like when you don't feel well and you wear like compression things, compression socks or compression thing on your knee, compression helps. It, it feels good to our joints. It, you know, helps with blood flow and return blood flow and all that. And the air does that naturally. So when we have low pressure after low pressure, you actually, it's like taking all that compression stuff off you. You have less weight of the air on you. And so people do typically feel worse. They have more of the aches and pains. And then you get the high pressure, the blue sky that comes out and that more weight on your body and everyone suddenly feels good again. You know, and it's not, it's mm. not like a, it's not a trick. It's just, the, the air is a natural compression for us. For me wearing com compression socks on an airplane is a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. If it makes you feel better and it, and it does, then yeah. that's, that's awesome because they pressurize airplanes, but they pressurize them all to about 10,000 feet. So you're flying yeah. at like 36, 37, 38, 39, whatever thousand feet. Um, they'll pressurize it to 10, but that's still a big difference. Like I, I hate the feeling I get when I fly, like your feet swell up in your hands and it just feels yucky. <laughs> yeah it does it's it's gross <laughs> yeah yep um well uh i think that's about the amount of time we have i haven't been keeping track lily yep it that feels... is okay. we are ready to wrap up <laughs> so uh obviously there's going to be a lot of links in this episode description based on our conversation but uh and, and so if people get lost in all of those links uh you've already said where they can find you um and uh, I, I'm really excited. Where can they find your book? And, and do you want to just tell us briefly about that book before before we leave? Sure. Yeah. So I love teaching people about the weather. And so uh, I wrote and illustrated a book called The Weather Story. Oh, there it is. Um, by, by Francis Fox. And my timing was awesome. I wrote it and illustrated all in the fall and winter of 2019 for all of my book signings in early 2020. <laughs> oh. That was awesome. Um, but anyway, so it, it is, I, I wrote it because I wanted kids to understand more about the weather. And I wrote it because my sister-in-law came to me and said, my niece was really afraid of thunderstorms. I said, oh, all she needs is a good book. Like if you're afraid of something, you just need to be educated about it and learn about it. And so I went to bookstore after bookstore and every book about the weather did not meet my approval. Uh, I talked a lot about what you wear and it's raining and everyone's sad because it's raining and don't forget your umbrella. And I'm like, that's not helpful. 
So I wrote the weather story because I wanted to actually teach kids about the weather and why it was happening. And it's cool because it's whoever age group that reads it learns something, whether they're older or younger. It's it's really fun. So the weather story with Francis Fox, you can find it online anywhere. Um, online books are sold. I know it's on Amazon, stuff like that. It's like a print on demand thing for a lot of the big places. So if you order it through them, they, you know, it takes a couple of days, but they print it on demand and send it to you. So check it out if you're interested in learning about the weather. Yeah, my, my wife, Megan, has a, like an extensive children's book collection. Like she she finds things that like mean something to her from her childhood or or things like that. And uh, uh, it, it may, it, I think it's going to find its way into her collection. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Well, and if you, you know, one signed copies, you can always um, reach out to me. I have a few more on hand. Okay. Um, and so I, I do sign copies if people ever want to gift them. Awesome. So I'm, I'm pretty accessible with social media stuff. Like I said, everywhere is W X C Y R E N A. Um, reach out. I'm probably more accessible than I should be, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, anybody have any last minute questions or anything they want to ask Serena about? Well, no, this, been, this is, yeah, this has been awesome. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your weekend. Uh, this is airing July 11th uh 2023 uh we do want to mention really quickly that eric and i will be on the point of it all podcast that would have come out on july 10th a uh, very interesting talk about homesteading with uh with jamie and uh yeah it, this has been awesome and uh i hope we get to talk yes. more in the future serena yeah absolutely it's been great thank you for having me yeah. all right have a great day kids